Lecture 12 of The Pioneers of Science. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Lecture 12, The Pioneers of Science by Sir Oliver Lodge. Notes to Lecture 12. The subject of stellar astronomy was first opened up by Sir William Herschel, the greatest observing astronomer. Frederick William Herschel was born in Hanover in 1738 and brought up as a musician, came to England in 1756, first saw a telescope in 1773, made a great many himself, and began a survey of the heavens. His sister Caroline, born in 1750, came to England in 1772 and became his devoted assistant to the end of his life. Uranus, discovered in 1781, Music finally abandoned next year, and the 40-foot telescope begun. Discovered two moons of Saturn and two of Uranus. Reviewed, described, and gauged all the visible heavens. Discovered and cataloged 2,500 nebulae and 806 double stars. Speculated concerning the Milky Way, the nebulosity of stars, the origin and growth of solar systems. Discovered that the stars were in motion, not fixed, and that the sun as one of them was journeying towards a point in the constellation Hercules. Died in 1822, 84 years old. Caroline Herschel discovered eight comets and lived on to the age of 98. Lecture 12, Herschel and the Motion of the Fixed Stars. We may admit, I think, that with a few notable exceptions, the work of the great men we have been recently considering was rather to complete and round off the work of Newton than to strike out new and original lines. This was the whole tendency of 18th century astronomy. It appeared to be getting into an adult and uninteresting stage, wherein everything could be calculated and predicted. Labor and ingenuity, and a severe mathematical training, were necessary to work out the remote consequences of known laws, but nothing fresh seemed likely to turn up. Consequently, men's minds began turning in other directions, and we find chemistry and optics largely studied by some of the greatest minds instead of astronomy. But before the century closed, there was destined to arise one remarkable exception, a man who was comparatively ignorant of that which had been done before, a man unversed in mathematics and the intricacies of science, but who possessed such a real and genuine enthusiasm and love of nature that he overcame the force of adverse circumstances, and entering the territory of astronomy by a bypath, struck out a new line for himself, and infused into the science a healthy spirit of fresh life and activity. This man was William Herschel. The rise of Herschel, says Miss Clerk, is the one conspicuous anomaly in the otherwise somewhat quiet and prosy 18th century. It proved decisive of the course of events in the 19th. It was unexplained by anything that had gone before, yet all that came after hinged upon it. It gave a new direction to effort. It lent a fresh impulse to thought. It opened a channel for the widespread public interest which was gathering towards astronomical subjects to flow in. Herschel was born at Hanover in 1738, the son of an oboe player in a military regiment. The father was a good musician and a cultivated man. The mother was a German Frau of the period, a strong, active, businesslike woman, of strong character and profound ignorance. Herself unable to write, she set her face against learning and all newfangled notions. The education of the sons she could not altogether control, though she lamented over it. But the education of her two daughters she strictly limited to cooking, sewing, and household management. These, however, she taught them well. 
it was a large family and william was the fourth child we need only remember the names of his younger brother alexander and of his much younger sister caroline they were all very musical the youngest boy was once raised upon a table to play the violin at a public performance the girls were forbidden to learn music by their mother but their father sometimes taught them a little on the sly alexander was besides an ingenious mechanician at the age of seventeen william became oboist to the hanoverian guards shortly before the regiment was ordered to england two years later he removed himself from the regiment with the approval of his parents though probably without the approbation or consent of the commanding officer by whom such removal would be regarded as simple desertion which indeed it was and george the third long afterwards handed him an official pardon for it at the age of nineteen he was thus launched in england with an outfit of some french latin and english picked up by himself some skill in playing the hautboy the violin and the organ as taught by his father and some good linen and clothing and an immense stock of energy provided by his mother he lived as musical instructor to one or two militia bands in yorkshire and for three years we hear no more than this of him but at the end of that time a noted organist dr miller of durham who had heard his playing proposed that he should come and live with him and play at concerts which he was very glad to do he next obtained the post of organist at halifax and some four or five years later he was invited to become organist at the octagon chapel in bath and soon led the musical life of that then very fashionable place about this time he went on a short visit to his family at hanover by all of whom he was very much beloved especially by his young sister caroline who always regarded him as specially her own brother it is rather pitiful however to find that her domestic occupations still unfairly repressed and blighted her life she says of the joys and pleasures which all felt at this long wished-for meeting with my let me say my dearest brother but a small portion could fall to my share for with my constant attendance at church and school besides the time i was employed in doing the drudgery of the scullery it was but seldom i could make one in the group when the family were assembled together while at bath he wrote many musical pieces glees anthems chants pieces for the harp and an orchestral symphony he taught a large number of pupils and lived a hard and successful life after fourteen hours or so spent in teaching and playing he would retire at night to instruct his mind with a study of mathematics optics italian or greek in all of which he managed to make some progress he also about this time fell in with some book on astronomy in seventeen sixty three his father was struck with paralysis and two years later he died william then proposed that alexander should come over from hanover and join him at bath which was done next they wanted to rescue their sister caroline from her humdrum existence but this was a more difficult matter caroline's journal gives an account of her life at this time that is instructive here are a few extracts from it my father wished to give me something like a polished education but my mother was particularly determined that it should be a rough but at the same time a useful one and nothing further she thought was necessary but to send me two or three months to a sempstress to be taught to make household linen my mother would not consent to my being taught french so all my father could do for me was to indulge me and please himself sometimes with a short lesson on the violin when my mother was either in good humor or out of the way 
she had cause for wishing me not to know more than was necessary for being useful in the family for it was her certain belief that my brother william would have returned to his country and my eldest brother not have looked so high if they had had a little less learning however seven years after the death of their father william went over to germany and returned to england in triumph bringing caroline with him she being then twenty-two so now began a busy life in bath for caroline the work must have been tremendous for besides having to learn singing she had to learn english she had moreover to keep accounts and do the marketing when the season at bath was over she hoped to get rather more of her brother william's society but he was deep in optics and astronomy used to sleep with the books under his pillow read them during meals and scarcely ever thought of anything else he was determined to see for himself all the astronomical wonders and there being a small gregorian reflector in one of the shops he hired it but he was not satisfied with this and contemplated making a telescope twenty feet long he wrote to opticians inquiring the price of a mirror suitable but found there were none so large and that even the smaller ones were beyond his means nothing daunted he determined to make some for himself alexander entered into his plans tools hones polishers and all sorts of rubbish were imported into the house to the sister's dismay who says and then to my sorrow i saw almost every room turned into a workshop a cabinet maker making a tube and stands of all descriptions in a handsomely furnished drawing-room alex putting up a huge turning machine which he had brought in the autumn from bristol where he used to spend the summer in a bedroom for turning patterns grinding glasses and turning eyepieces and company at the same time music durst not lie entirely dormant during the summer and my brother had frequent rehearsals at home finally in seventeen seventy four at the age of thirty-six he had made himself a five and a half foot telescope and began to view the heavens so attached was he to the instrument that he would run from the concert room between parts and take a look at the stars he soon began another telescope and then another he must have made some dozen different telescopes always trying to get them bigger and bigger at last he got a seven-foot and then a ten-foot instrument and began a systematic survey of the heavens he also began to communicate his results to the royal society he now took a larger house with more room for workshops and a grass plot for a twenty-foot telescope and still he went on grinding mirrors literally hundreds of them i read another extract from the diary of his sister who waited on him and obeyed him like a spaniel my time was taken up with copying music and practicing besides attendance on my brother when polishing since by way of keeping him alive i was constantly obliged to feed him by putting the victuals by bits into his mouth this was once the case when in order to finish a seven-foot mirror he had not taken his hands from it for sixteen hours together in general he was never unemployed at meals but was always at those times contriving or making drawings of whatever came in his mind generally i was obliged to read to him whilst he was at the turning lathe or polishing mirrors don quixote arabian nights entertainments and the novels of stern fielding and company serving tea and supper without interrupting the work with which he was engaged and sometimes lending a hand i became in time as useful a member of the workshop as a boy might be to his master in the first year of his apprenticeship but as i was to take part the next year in the oratorios i had for a whole twelve months two lessons per week from miss fleming the celebrated dancing mistress to drill me for a gentlewoman god knows how she succeeded 
So we lived on without interruption. My brother Alex was absent from Bath for some months every summer, but when at home he took much pleasure in executing some turning or clockmaker's work for his brother. The music and the astronomy and the making of telescopes all went on together, each at high pressure, and enough done in each to satisfy any ordinary activity. But the Herschels knew no rest, grinding mirrors by day, concerts and oratorios in the evening, stargazing at night. It is strange his health could stand it. The stargazing, moreover, was no dilettante work. It was based on a serious system, a well-thought-out plan of observation. It was nothing less than this, to pass the whole heavens steadily and in order through the telescope, noting and describing and recording every object that should be visible, whether previously known or unknown. The operation is called sweeping, but it is not a rapid passage from one object to the other, as the term might suggest. It is a most tedious business, and consists in following with the telescope a certain field of view for some minutes, so as to be sure that nothing is missed, then shifting it to the next overlapping field and watching again. And whatever object appears must be scrutinized anxiously to see what there is peculiar about it. If a star, it may be double, or it may be colored, or it may be nebulous, or again it may be variable, and so its brightness must be estimated in order to compare with a subsequent observation. Four distinct times in his life did Herschel thus pass the whole visible heavens under review, and each survey occupied him several years. He discovered double stars, variable stars, nebulae, and comets, and Mr. William Herschel, of Bath, the amateur astronomer, was gradually emerging from his obscurity and becoming a known man. Tuesday, the 13th of March, 1781, is a date memorable in the annals of astronomy. On this night, he writes to the Royal Society, in examining the small stars near Eta Geminorum, I perceived one visibly larger than the rest. Struck with its uncommon appearance, I compared it to Eta Geminorum and another star, and finding it so much larger than either, I suspected it to be a comet. The comet was immediately observed by professional astronomers, and its orbit was computed by some of them. It was thus found to move in nearly a circle instead of an elongated ellipse, and to be nearly twice as far from the sun as Saturn. It was no comet. It was a new planet, more than 100 times as big as the Earth, and nearly twice as far away as Saturn. It was presently christened Uranus. This was a most striking discovery, and the news sped over Europe. To understand the interest it excited, we must remember that such a discovery was unique. Since the most ancient times of which men had any knowledge, the planets Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn had been known, and there had been no addition to their number. Galileo and others had discovered satellites indeed, but a new primary planet was an entire and utterly unsuspected novelty. One of the most immediate consequences of the event was the discovery of Herschel himself. The Royal Society made him a fellow the same year, the University of Oxford dubbed him a doctor, and the king sent for him to bring his telescope and show it at court. So to London and Windsor he went, taking with him his best telescope. Maskelyne, the then astronomer royal, compared it with the national one at Greenwich and found Herschel's homemade instrument far the better of the two. He had a stand made after Herschel's pattern, but was so disgusted with his own instrument now that he scarcely thought it worthy of the stand when it was made. At Windsor, George III was very civil, and Mr. Herschel was in great request to show the ladies of the court Saturn and other objects of interest. 
mr herschel exhibited a piece of worldly wisdom under these circumstances that recalls faintly the behavior of tycho brahe under similar circumstances the evening when the exhibition was to take place threatened to become cloudy and wet so herschel rigged up an artificial saturn constructed of card and tissue paper with a lamp behind it in the distant wall of a garden and when the time came his new titled friends were regaled with a view of this imitation saturn through the telescope the real one not being visible they went away much pleased he stayed hovering between windsor and greenwich and uncertain what was to be the outcome of all this regal patronizing he writes to his sister that he would much rather be back grinding mirrors at bath and she writes begging him to come for his musical pupils were getting impatient they had to get the better of their impatience however for the king ultimately appointed him astronomer or rather telescope maker to himself and so caroline and the whole household were sent for and established in a small house at datchet from being a star-gazing musician herschel thus became a practical astronomer henceforth he lived in his observatory only on wet and moonlit nights could he be torn away from it the daytime he devoted to making his long contemplated twenty-foot telescope not yet however were all their difficulties removed the house at datchet was a tumble-down barn of a place chosen rather as a workshop and observatory than as a dwelling-house and the salary allowed him by george the third was scarcely a princely one it was as a matter of fact two hundred pounds a year the idea was that he would earn his living by making telescopes and so he did he made altogether some hundreds among others four for the king but this eternal making of telescopes for other people to use or play with was a weariness to the flesh what he wanted was to observe 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 sir william watson an old friend of his and of some influence at court expressed his mind pretty plainly concerning herschel's position and as soon as the king got to understand that there was anything the matter he immediately offered two thousand pounds for a gigantic telescope to be made for herschel's own use nothing better did he want in life the whole army of carpenters and craftsmen resident in datchet were pressed into the service furnaces for the speculum metal were built stands erected and the forty-foot telescope fairly begun it cost four thousand pounds before it was finished but the king paid the whole with it he discovered two more satellites to saturn five hitherto had been known and two moons to his own planet uranus these two are now known as oberon and titania they were not seen again until some forty years after when his son sir john herschel reobserved them and in eighteen forty seven mr lassell at his house starfield near liverpool discovered two more called ariel and umbriel making the number four as now known mr lassell also discovered with a telescope of his own making an eighth satellite of saturn hyperion and a satellite to neptune a letter from a foreign astronomer about this period describes herschel and his sister's method of work i spent the night of the sixth of january at herschel's in datchet near windsor and had the good luck to hit on a fine evening he has his twenty-foot newtonian telescope in the open air and mounted in his garden very simply and conveniently it is moved by an assistant who stands below it near the instrument is a clock regulated to side real time in the room near it sits herschel's sister and she has flamsteed's atlas open before her 
As he gives her the words, she writes down the declination and right ascension and the other circumstances of the observation. In this way, Herschel examines the whole sky without omitting the least part. He commonly observes with a magnifying power of 150 and is sure that after four or five years he will have passed in review every object above our horizon. He showed me the book in which his observations up to this time are written, and I am astonished at the great number of them. Each sweep covers two degrees, fifteen minutes in declination, and he lets each star pass at least three times through the field of his telescope, so that it is impossible that anything can escape him. He has already found about nine hundred double stars and almost as many nebulae. I went to bed about one o'clock, and up to that time he had found that night four or five new nebulae. The thermometer in the garden stood at thirteen degrees Fahrenheit, but in spite of this, Herschel observes the whole night through, except that he stops every three or four hours and goes into the room for a few moments. For some years Herschel has observed the heavens every hour when the weather is clear, and this always in the open air, because he says that the telescope only performs well when it is at the same temperature as the air. He protects himself against the weather by putting on more clothing. He has an excellent constitution and thinks about nothing else in the world but the celestial bodies. He has promised me in the most cordial way, entirely in the service of astronomy and without thinking of his own interest, to see to the telescopes I have ordered for European observatories, and he will himself attend to the preparation of the mirrors. In 1783 Herschel married an estimable lady who sympathized with his pursuits. She was the only daughter of a city magnate, so his pecuniary difficulties, such as they were, they were never very troublesome to him, came to an end. They moved now into a more commodious house at Slow. Their one son, afterwards the famous Sir John Herschel, was born some nine years later. But the marriage was rather a blow to his devoted sister. Henceforth she lived in lodgings and went over at night time to help him observe. For it must be remarked that this family literally turned night into day. Whatever sleep they got was in the daytime. Every fine night, without exception, was spent in observing and the quite incredible fierceness of the pursuit is illustrated as strongly as can be by the following sentence out of caroline's diary at the time of the move from datchet to slow the last night at datchet was spent in sweeping till daylight and by the next evening the telescope stood ready for observation at slow caroline was now often allowed to sweep with a small telescope on her own account in this way she picked up a good many nebulae in the course of her life and eight comets four of which were quite new and one of which known since as Anck's comet has become very famous the work they got through between them is something astonishing he made with his own hands four hundred and thirty parabolic mirrors for reflecting telescopes besides a great number of complete instruments he was forty-two when he began contributing to the royal society yet before he died he had sent them sixty-nine long and elaborate treatises one of these memoirs is a catalogue of one thousand nebulae fifteen years after he sends in another one thousand and some years later another five hundred he also discovered eight hundred and six double stars which he proved were really corrected from the fact they revolved round each other he lived to see some of them perform half a revolution for him the stars were not fixed they moved slowly among themselves he detected their proper motions 
he passed the whole northern firmament in review four distinct times and counted the stars in thirty four hundred gauge fields and estimated the brightness of hundreds of stars he also measured as accurately as he could their proper motions devising for this purpose the method which still to this day remains in use and what is the outcome of it all it is not uranus nor the satellites nor even the double stars and the nebulae considered as mere objects it is the beginning of a science of the stars hitherto the stars had only been observed for nautical and practical purposes their times of rising and southing and setting had been noted they had been treated as a clock or piece of dead mechanism and as fixed points of reference all the energies of astronomers had gone out towards the solar system it was the planets that had been observed tycho had observed and tabulated their positions kepler had found out some laws of their motion galileo had discovered their peculiarities and attendants newton and laplace had perceived every detail of their laws but for the stars the old ptolemaic system might still have been true they might still be mere dots in a vast crystalline sphere all set at about one distance and subservient to the uses of the earth herschel changed this instead of sameness he found variety instead of uniformity of distance limitless and utterly limitless fields and boundless distances instead of rest and quiescence motion and activity instead of stagnation life yes that is what herschel discovered the life and activity of the whole visible universe no longer was our little solar system to be the one object of regard no longer were its phenomena to be alone interesting to man with herschel every star was a solar system and more than that he found suns revolving round suns at distances such as the mind reels at still obeying the same law of gravitation as pulls an apple from a tree he tried hard to estimate the distance of the stars from the earth but there he failed it was too hopeless a problem it was solved some time after his death by bessel and the distances of many stars are now known but these distances are awful and unspeakable our distance from the sun shrinks up into a mere speck the whole solar system into a mere unit of measurement to be repeated hundreds of thousands of times before we reach the stars yet their motion is visible yes to very accurate measurement quite plain one star known as sixty one cygni was then and is now rushing along at the rate of one hundred miles every second not that you must imagine that this makes any obvious and apparent change in its position no for all ordinary and practical purposes they are still fixed stars thousands of years will show us no obvious change adam saw precisely the same constellations as we do it is only by refined micrometric measurement with high magnifying power that their flight can be detected but the sun is one of the stars not by any means a specially large or bright one sirius we now know to be twenty times as big as the sun the sun is one of the stars then is it at rest herschel asked this question and endeavored to answer it he succeeded in the most astonishing manner it is perhaps his most remarkable discovery and savors of intuition this is how it happened 
with imperfect optical means and his own eyesight to guide him, he considered and pondered over the proper motion of the stars as he had observed it, till he discovered a kind of uniformity running through it all. Mixed up with irregularities and individualities, he found that in a certain part of the heavens the stars were, on the whole, opening out, separating slowly from each other. On the opposite side of the heavens they were, on the average, closing up, getting slightly nearer to each other while in directions at right angles to this they were fairly preserving their customary distances asunder now what is the moral to be drawn from such uniformity of behavior among unconnected bodies surely that this part of their motion is only apparent that it is we who are moving traveling over a prairie bounded by a belt of trees we should see the trees in our line of advance opening out and those behind closing up we should see in fact the same kind of apparent motion as herschel was able to detect among the stars the opening out being most marked near the constellation hercules the conclusion is obvious the sun with all its planets must be steadily moving towards a point in the constellation hercules the most accurate modern research has been hardly able to improve upon this statement of herschel's possibly the solar system may ultimately be found to revolve round some other body but what that is no one knows all one can tell is the present direction of the majestic motion since it was discovered it has continued unchanged and will probably so continue for thousands of years and finally concerning the nebulae these mysterious objects exercised a strong fascination for herschel and many are the speculation he indulges in concerning them at one time he regards them all as clusters of stars and the Milky Way as our cluster. The other he regards as other universes almost infinitely distant, and he proceeds to gauge and estimate the shape of our own universe, or galaxy of suns, the Milky Way. Later on, however, he pictures to himself the nebulae as nascent suns, solar systems before they are formed. Some he thinks have begun to aggregate, while some are still glowing gas. He likens the heavens to a garden in which there are plants growing in all manner of different stages, some shooting, some in leaf, some in flower, some bearing seed, some decaying, and thus, at one inspection, we have before us the whole life history of the plant. Just so he thinks the heavens contain worlds, some old, some dead, some young and vigorous, and some in the act of being formed. The nebulae are these latter, and the nebulous stars are a further stage in the condensation towards a sun. And thus, by simple observation, he is led towards something very like the nebular hypothesis of Laplace, and his position, whether it be true or false, is substantially the same as is held today. We know now that many of the nebulae consist of innumerable isolated particles and may be spoken of as gas. We know that some are in a state of whirling motion. We know also that such gas left to itself will slowly, as it cools, condense and shrink, so as to form a central solid nucleus. And also, if it were in whirling motion, that it would send off rings from itself, and that these rings could break up into planets. In two familiar cases, the ring has not yet thus aggregated into planet or satellite, the zone of asteroids and Saturn's ring. The whole of this could not have been asserted in Herschel's time. For further information, the world had to wait. These are the problems of modern astronomy, these and many others, which are the growth of this century, I, 
and the growth of the last thirty or forty and indeed of the last ten years even as i write new and very confirmatory discoveries are being announced the milky way does seem to have some affinity with our sun and the chief stars of the constellation of orion constitute another family and are enveloped in the great nebula now by photography perceived to be far greater than had ever been imagined what is to be the outcome of it all i know not but i am sure of this that the largest views of the universe that we are able to frame and the grandest manner of its construction that we can conceive are certain to pale and shrink and become inadequate when confronted with the truth end of lecture twelve recording by kathleen nelson austin texas may 2010